Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Phil Hay Show. Hello, welcome to the Phil Hay Show. It's brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Phil's here from The Athletic. My name's Dan Moylan, joined from The Square Ball by Rob Conlon, sobbing in for uh, for Michael Normanson this week, making his debut on The Phil Hay Show. So uh, so welcome, Rob. There's a lot more pressure on this than that dos about we usually do on The Square Ball, isn't it? <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe Michael's ditched us for the golf, and I hope that sounds as derogatory as it's supposed to. But have a nice time, Normanson. Um, if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read Phil's stuff, all the stuff on Rafinha that we're going to talk about in a bit, all the football on the site, all the other sports there, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod, pound a month for six months at the minute. Phil, uh, what's on there? Give us a little bit of the detail. There will be plenty on about the Rafinha deal, uh, a long read in particular about how it came together in the end, because it has been one of the most complex transfers Leeds have had to negotiate in a, a long, long time. Uh, we've got some stuff coming up on Sinestra as well, new signing from Feyenoord. And a piece that was towards the back end last week, you might already have seen it, just some reflections on the first pre-season friendly and what that might say about the season ahead. Head to theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up there. Okay, let's talk about Rafinha then, Phil. He's off to Barcelona, £50 million plus five in add-ons. Let's break it all down then. What's happened? White smoke at last, after what has been a saga in the way that Calvin Phillips, for example, wasn't. That was... Pretty smooth and, and plain sailing once it became clear that City wanted him and once it became clear that Leeds were willing to negotiate for him, that was done with a decent amount of haste. And the difference between the, the City deal and, and the Barcelona deal, which is going to go through very, very shortly, is that City were able to push that at a pace that meant that Phillips didn't have to come back for the charade of a couple of days of training um, or a, a week or so of training at, at Thorpe Arch and have that awkward thing where you're floating around just waiting to leave. It's been very, very different for Rafinha. Um, who did train at Thorpe Arch this week, trained on his own, but didn't travel to Australia, the Leeds pre-season tour, which wasn't a surprise, but that last week um, when Marsh kind of hinted that that would happen and then Leeds confirmed that he was staying behind, that pretty much told you that the relationship was in its final throes and, and that he was going to be off to, to somewhere and most likely Barcelona. By that point, I mean, it should be said actually that it wasn't a case of him going on strike. It wasn't a case of him refusing to travel. I think he was quite happy to go in principle, but it was agreed across the board that it made no sense logistically or physically to have him on the other side of the world if and when a deal was put in place. 
And there was enough movement finally from Barcelona last week to make Leeds think that it was getting properly serious, that it was heading to a conclusion. Pretty decisive movement over the weekend, although not quite enough to bring it to, to completion. But in the last 24 hours, they're finally there with the fee, finally there with the structure of the deal. You'll ask me at some point, surely how Barcelona plan to pay for this? Um, I'm not going to be able to answer that, but suffice to say, if the money drops in Leeds' account, then what um, Barcelona have done with the money and how they go about registering Rafinha is absolutely not their problem. It's not an acrimonious breakup, this one, no. is it? By any stretch of the imagination, you, you talked about it like a parting of the ways there. But this is a willing seller. Leeds are, are wanting to facilitate Rafinha's move there because he wants to go. Very much so. So when the discussion was going on last week about you know what happens with Australia, the decision on both sides was, we, you know, he, he can't play in any of the friendlies because... If he gets an injury of note, then that risks everything. You know, that you've got a, a 60 million, 50, 55 million pound asset who somebody is trying to buy. If he gets injured, then that and, and your own plans for what you're going to do with the money, how you're going to reinvest it, it all falls apart. So Leeds were as much on the same page as him when it came to him not travelling and, and him taking a back seat in pre season. And you're right, it hasn't been acrimonious with him. It hasn't been poisonous, which to a degree is a little bit of a surprise, not because. I'm suggesting that that would be Rafinha's style or he would look for that. But it has been complicated and it has been incredibly difficult to get to this point. And Leeds have had a period of about two or three weeks where they've sat with an offer on the table from Chelsea that they could have taken very quickly and, and that could have proceeded much sooner than, than this, only to find themselves in a situation where Rafinha wanted Barcelona and, and Barcelona alone, nobody else was, was going to get a look in as far as he was concerned. And because of that, they were dragged into negotiations that were unbelievably difficult because of the situation Barcelona were in, because of the terms Barcelona wanted, the, the caveats or I guess the indulgences or the, the concessions that would allow them to do a deal that, you know, the question all the way through has been, can they actually afford, can they can they finance? And clearly they, they have the money, otherwise they wouldn't be doing this. Uh, but it had to be right for Leeds. They had to be protected in a lot of ways because of the situation at Barcelona. But equally, they had to get this done. And it had to be done with Barca because that was going to be the only option when it came to where Rafinha was going to move. And we'll get into the fee in a minute or two. But really, from a fan perspective, Rob, Barcelona is a much, much better move than seeing him at Chelsea. Yeah, there was a massive sense of dread when those Chelsea reports first came out and you thought, oh no, not those. But to be honest, you look at this deal, both him signing for Leeds and the way he is now left, and it's been a huge success, hasn't it? He's He's come in, I don't think many of us had really knew much about him when he joined. We kind of instantly fell in love with him. He was absolutely brilliant for two years. You know, a, a little dip maybe in the middle of the previous season, but you could say that about all players and now he's gone. Made us a lot of money, made us a big profit. He's gone to a club where it's slightly kind of out of sight, out of mind. I mean, I can enjoy watching Bar uh, Rafinha play for Barcelona. I can enjoy watching him play in the Champions League in the same way I've really enjoyed watching him play for Brazil. And it's been so cool to watch a Leeds player break into the Brazil squad and look brilliant. Like, you couldn't think of that a few years ago. So the way it's gone, yeah, it's hard to argue with. And, you know, Victor has come in for a lot of criticism, but that has been a massive plus for him. People will criticise the fee, though, Phil, and say that it's not enough, because such is the way of the world. 50 million plus five in add-ons. So the in Euros, it's, which is what's been talked about all the way through, actually, it's been 58 plus eight. Um, but when you convert that to pounds, it is 50 plus five. The way Leeds will explain this or the way they will look at it is that if you take the money up front as opposed to staggered over, say, a five-year contract, which is what we think Rafinha is going to get and, and sign at Barcelona, 
then technically speaking, and I know this sounds ludicrous, but it is actually true. Your money is worth more now than it is if you're getting paid further down the line because of inflation and, and everything else. And I know that's not particularly the way people would want to hear it, but that, you know, that is a fact. There are also other features in this, um, similar to the Phillips deal, where certain fees or certain things that might have been owed are being waived. And while that's not money that will be coming out of Barcelona's pocket, it'll be money that Leeds will see as, as a win or you know, an, an addition to them on top of the fee. You'll remember the Phillips fee, it was talked about as being worth sort of circa £50 million to Leeds, even though the fee was 42 plus three. I think they will say that to them, they think this will be worth around about £60 million to them, even though the fee is 50 plus five. For what it's worth, I think they will get the five. I think those everybody has kind of said that those add-ons are not unachievable and highly likely to, to be met given the club he's going to and the, and the type of player he is. So again, a little bit like Phillips, it doesn't strike me as being top whack, but I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad fee either. And it has been wildly complicated. And you, I guess you have to remember that when it comes to it, you have one club to deal with. Um, and even though this kind of turned into a bidding war. The thing that helped more than anything was Chelsea putting a bid on the table, which kind of meant that Barcelona were no no longer able to to sit in Spain saying, well, this is what we think Rafinha is valued at. You know, it doesn't really matter what they think at that point. Chelsea have set the benchmark and you either match that or you don't. And I think, I wouldn't have said that I've been overly impressed by the way Barcelona have gone about this at all, particularly because they've been kind of laying the ground for this move from February onwards. And when you... When you're kind of courting a player like that, you have to have it in your gift to be able to do the deal with a minimum of fuss. And it's been quite the opposite in these circumstances. And I think they have looked for concessions. I think they have been looking for leads to do them a favour. I mean, one of the things that was spoken about to me was the fact that because of the issue with registration, Barcelona at various points talked about the possibility that if they couldn't register him before the end of the window, what they would do is um, they would wait until... January to do it instead, you know, assuming that things have fallen into place by then, it would essentially be agreed now, but he would move in January because they couldn't register. And, and Leeds just said that just, that just does absolutely not work for us. You know, it can't be done in the same way as Barcelona were saying, we'll pay in instalments. There's no motivation at all to agree a deal like that with a club with massive debt and a club who've been, been struggling to meet the bills. So it had to be up front. It had to be now. It had to be done in a way where the payment was confirmed and guaranteed and, and was there so that they knew it was it was a secure deal. But Rob's right. I mean, they've they've made a very big profit on him. And it interests me that um, Sinistera coming in is kind of the same age as Rafinha, same kind of price as Rafinha was when he, he came from, from Wren. And it feels like the cycle going around again, which is not to say that Sinistera is going to be anything like as good or anything like as effective or become as valuable. But you can see the model in action. It's quite telling there that you said February is when they've been laying the groundwork for this. I mean, and the whole Leeds team took a dip in form in February, but Rafinha noticeable in that as well. So you wonder if that just distracted him a little bit at the time. Hard to say, and only he could answer that, but there was a definite shift from the discussions with his agent Deco about a new contract before Christmas and quite a lot of confidence at Leeds that they would get there with a new deal, provided that they could agree on a, a buyout clause that would be um, that would be active in the Premier League as well as uh, one if they, they got relegated even at the end of January Leeds were thinking that they would get there with that and they would find a middle ground and they, they seemed to be finding Deco and Rafinha really receptive about that and it wasn't actually that difficult to do because he was never on a huge wage here you know his transfer fee was quite low his, his salary demands were, were pretty modest so he, he was never the, the highest earner in the squad but from the end of January kind of early February it just went really cold the league position must have been a factor in that as well I mean you you just don't in his position and, and 
you know, with his reputation, you just don't commit to a club who look like they they might be going down. And obviously, because he did have that relegation release clause as well, he was in a strong position um, when it came to to that situation developing. But it became increasingly likely that he was going to go. And the noise coming out of Spain about Barcelona has been incessant since February. And as I say, because that was being generated by Barcelona and because, you know, it was coming from that end, you do think that if that's the way you're going to play it, you owe people the courtesy of being able to do the deal in a simple way where you have the money and you have the means to to meet the demands of, of the selling club. And it has got there now, but it hasn't been simple and it has been messy and it's taken a hell of a lot of work. And, and you know, it, it could have put Leeds in a difficult position this had it dragged on too long. One of the things I saw reported, Phil, in the last day or two was that Barcelona have agreed to pick up like the commissions that are payable when the transfer goes through rather than, say, Leeds having to pay their share. As a result, you can knock down the overall fee because Ren are due a bit of uh, a bit of this, aren't they? They've got a sell on. So by lowering the overall fee, there's less you've got to then pass on to Ren if you can get Barcelona to pick up some of the costs. The, the, the fee to Ren will be paid by Leeds. That's, um, that's Leeds' responsibility to do. But there are other fees owed in this which will be waived, from what I understand anyway. Exactly what level they're at, I'm not sure, but you'd be talking seven figures. So when you start to add them all up, I guess it's if you're the, the buying club, you want it to look like you've got to play it as cheaply as possible. If you're the selling club, you want it to, to look like you've received as much as possible. And you'll often hear clubs say that, you know, the, the buying club go low, the selling club go high. And the truth is, is usually um, somewhere in the middle. But, the, you know, the, the, the actual fee, roughly 50 plus five in pounds, 58 plus eight um, in euros. But there will be things that alter that because of the way it's been negotiated. And as you mentioned, there, we should stress that there's a large portion of this has been paid up front as well, which will allow Leeds to act in the market now. As you said, it's better to have the money in the bank now. Well, two reasons for that. Firstly, so you can act in the market and you can go after players of kind of high worth in their own right. But secondly, so that none of this is on the never-never um, and so that you don't find that in January or next summer you do a payment that doesn't arrive and you know you, you have that complication. I think it's tricky at the moment for clubs to negotiate with Barcelona without saying to them, you know, we, we really need to see the readies. You know, it needs to be there. We'll miss him, won't we, I think, though, Rob? Yeah, definitely. I've, I've, um, there hasn't been many Leeds players that have got me as excited and have just looked so immediately a level above everyone. And I think, um, you know, the kind of question mark over when this was agreed, whether it was back in February, certainly at least the personal terms, I, I suppose that's kind of the one potential slight disappointment because of he did have a bit of a sulk around then. But also... I think a lot of that frustration in him was just kind of the inner fury which he played with and that is what kind of made him so fun. He was like this gunslinger on the wing who just looked angry at the world and lashed out at the world basically in the way he played football which I absolutely loved. And it, it's that thing of this summer has felt like a real changing of eras almost at Leeds. Certainly on the playing side of things. You know, Marsh is in his first full season or coming into it the squad there's kind of a big turnover of players or at least a big incoming of players and I'm just glad it's over with now this saga the noise has been going on for months now even coming into the window like you've been saying it's carried on without anything really happening up until now I almost think yeah we could have had a bit more but also he could have gone to Chelsea and I'm just glad it's over with now and we can crack on and see where the squad goes now the Barcelona noise has been draining hasn't it Phil? It has I mean it, it's been time after time where from their perspective or the point of view of, of reports in Spain, it's essentially been done, but then it hasn't and nothing's quite quite got there until last weekend when you definitely, definitely got the sense 
partly because Rafinha hadn't travelled, but also because of what was being said and, and the sudden confidence at this end, um, as opposed to just, you know, Barcelona's rhetoric over and over again of we want to sign this guy and we're going to sign this guy. Suddenly you had people at Leeds who were saying, actually, do you know what? This does look like it might be might be just about the end game now. What Rob was saying there with, with Phillips, it came about, even though you knew that that was in the background, it was it was quite swift. I have had the sense with this one that there has been more and more of a feeling of, can we just get this done now? You know, it's not that anybody wants to see Rafinha go and wants to lose him because he he is probably the first world-class player who's come through the door since Leeds were relegated and, you know, going back further than that. It's just that people were alive and I think realistic to what was going on. And and there comes a stage where everybody has to move on and certainly the club have moved on mentally. I mean, I, I did a piece today where I was saying, I, I very much doubt that Marsh in any way has thought about how Rafinha would fit in to the team next season. And actually, they made very little sense in taking him to Australia or trying to involve him in these games because he's got six other players who need to acclimatise six new signings. He's got to build a team. He's got to build it using players who are definitely his, are going to be here, who he knows there's no chance of losing it. And in any case, Rafinha is good enough to, and, you know, and skillful enough to slot into the team had things gone differently. But when we, we spoke to Marsh in York at the Friendly Against Blackpool last week, you could tell from his tone that he didn't expect Rafinha to, to travel and he expected that by the time they came back, Rafinha would be gone. And that's the way it's worked out. Well, with that 50 to 55 coming in on top of the Calvin Phillips fee, Phil, £100 million on the way into Leeds United. We've seen a fair proportion of it go out. We still, as Marsha said, are looking very actively at a forward striker, whatever that may be. Where are we with that one now? That's the one position. Uh, and to repeat, a previous point made on a previous podcast, they, they have actually done really well to be where they are now with six players through the door and Phillips and Rafinha both gone, considering that both of those transfers were kind of un, unavoidable in the end. They are and have been hugely keen on Charles de Kettler. They can meet Bruges' terms on that. They can meet his personal terms as well. The problem is that it, it's become no secret at all that de Kettler wants to go to AC Milan. You know, that's that's his club of choice. That's his move of choice. And it does seem and it does feel a little like Milan are creeping and creeping towards being able to pay what Bruges want them to pay. I spoke to somebody this morning in Belgium who said it still isn't agreed at that end yet and it and it isn't done. But I think there's always been the prevailing view at Leeds that it probably is going to be the San Siro for him as much as they like De Ketlar and as much as they, they want him and have obviously made their pitch. Uh, he seems to be pretty set on Serie A. Uh, seems to be set on, on Milan being the club he wants to go to. It's one of those where you wonder if it all kind of ends up down a cul-de-sac and Milan can't get it done, you know, does it end up happening? Um, but I think it's probably going to have to sort itself out at the Italian end before that becomes an option again. The criticism that will follow from that, though, is people will say, why have Leeds wasted this much time on a player who evidently doesn't want to come to them? Fans will say that. So what's the response to that? I don't think it's evidently doesn't want to come. I think it's more evidently wants to go somewhere else. Um, so you have options. Uh, but again, it's that complicated thing of Milan haven't just gone in and said to to Bruges, here's the money, we'll do it. Um, even though you're talking kind of £30 million, something like that for him, which you would assume would be affordable for your Serie A champions. Although I don't think Milan are absolutely awash with cash and and neither is the Italian market. But it's, it's one of those where you... you you come across a player that you really like and you have to keep yourself in the running to some extent on you know because of the possibility that it does become um achievable i think deep down i think he will probably end up at milan unfortunately because he looks like a, a very very good player but in terms of finance it's de- it's 
100% a deal leads can do. Is, is there an argument that missing out on him might almost be a blessing in disguise? And that, I mean, he's clearly a very, very talented player, but I think the really interesting thing in the piece you wrote about him, I think it was the start of the month, was that nobody, everyone seems to think he plays in a different position. Milan think he's a right winger or a number 10. Leeds want him as this second striker kind mm. of forward. There was a journalist in Belgium, I think, who thought he was like a number eight central midfielder. Is there an argument that what Leeds actually need is a number nine, like a traditional Patrick Bamford style? And I guess where do Leeds go from here? Well, particularly because they've done Sinistera from Feyenoord, they, they certainly don't need somebody who is predominantly going to be a winger. Uh, they definitely don't see De Ketelaar in that mould. They think of him more as a nine stroke, uh, and not a 10 so much as a, a secondary forward, you know, support forward. And, and obviously Marsh has... You know, talked about and in the past done this four-two-two-two system. Although he didn't use that against Blackpool and York last weekend, and it doesn't look like that's the way they're going to set out this season. But it would be the ability to play two up front um, that 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 would lead to. I think more to the point, really. I guess is the question of whether at thirty million pounds he's worth that, and he's good enough to be spending that money on, given that he is so young um, and and so far from his peak. From what I've seen of him and from what I've read about him, I, I happen to think he probably is worth the money. And I think if Milan get him, he'll be a very good signing. I think if Leeds get him, he'll be a, a very good signing as well. But I totally agree with you. The last thing Leeds need is another winger. You know, they do need somebody who is goal scorer stroke centre forward in that mould. You know, give or take a bit of flexibility or vers- versatility in what they can do. But somebody out and out who can, you know, properly contribute up front. Um, you, you'll have seen the links to... Kalimendu at um, PSG, they they do very much like him. You know, he is someone they've they have looked at pretty seriously. I think the thing with him is that he's he's twenty years old, and they'll be mindful of the fact that they'll want a signing which doesn't kind of get in the way of Gilhart. You know, they will want Gilhart to get minutes this season. They'll want him to to develop and come through. I wonder if they would probably, well, well, I suspect they might prefer somebody a little bit older in the way that De Kettler is so that you're not essentially sitting on two 20-year-olds and buying for a, a position there. Because the last thing anybody wants to do with Gilhart is to kind of crowd him out. But everybody is mindful of the fact that they do need more up front than they had last season. Now, despite the fact that Bamford looks like he, he will be fit for the start of the season. I mean, De Kettler's only 21, Phil. <laughs> tw- did I say 23? Uh, he says 21. He turned 21 in March. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, be, I get the point that you're making. Yeah, he's, he's a slightly but, different player, isn't he? Yeah, but I, I've, in spite of what I've just said, it seems to me that that probably, I mean, that type of player, you know, Kalamendu, De Kettler, totally, totally fits with the model at Leeds, what they do, which is picking up players before they've peaked, picking up players with plenty of potential, a lot of resale value, as they did with um, Rafinha, and ideally developing to the point where they're better players and, and worth far more money. So it totally makes sense to me that they would like somebody like Kalamendu in, in the way that it does, um, you know, that they, they would like the Ketela. Uh, but they are going to have to find somebody, definitely. And that, you know, Marsh has said himself, with this, it will come on to this, but with the injury to Junior Thurpo, that probably opens up another area that they need to look at. But of the things that they needed to do at the very start of the season, a, a forward um, of some ilk is, um, is the one thing that's still outstanding. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. 
Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's do Furpo then. Eight weeks out. Legs made of biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with left backs at Leeds? I feel as that for like for the length of time I've written about this club, they've been about two, three seasons where it hasn't been a problem and that's mostly been because of Charlie Taylor. It just never seems to settle down. It never seems to, to be a position where somebody has a long and consistent run without any problem. I mean, Stuart Dallas has probably been as effective there as, as most players going back 10 years, um, probably a little bit longer. And it does rather shine a light on the fact that that was a problem position last season. And with Filippo potentially out for eight weeks, it looks like being a problem position at the start of the season. Obviously, at the moment, they don't have Dallas to cover that area because he's injured and, and still recovering from his fractured femur. But they've got Leif Davis um, out on tour in Australia at the moment Ipswich very interested in him and I suspect if there was more depth in the squad Leeds would be pretty happy to take the money that Ipswich are offering it's not that they don't rate Davis and actually he's done pretty well since he he came back but I mean he's been out the picture for for a while now and he's got a year left on his contract it felt like one of those that was dwindling towards a towards a conclusion and reading Marsh's quotes from from down under a little earlier he was talking about Stroik can play there Jack Harrison can play there even before the ball's been kicked, that's taking you into square pegs, round holes territory, which I think we can all agree it would be good to, to get out of. So it does feel as if there is uh, the call for a bit of attention there. Why does everybody want Gianni Alioski back? Is it a lack of imagination? <laughs> um, Because I think people like Alioski. People I'd, will be annoyed. Not everybody wants him. Uh, some, so, people some people. Some people. I, I think because people kind of liked Alioski and they appreciated what he did the period he was here, I don't think anybody thought he was the world's best defender. I think there were things about him that frustrated people at, at various points. And I almost felt when he left, he went before he'd got to the stage where people got frustrated with his inadequacies, I suppose, or his, his shortcomings. But he's pretty decent, wasn't he? And he was physically very good as well. Very rarely injured and, and seemed to always be available. And more to the point, he's left his club in Saudi Arabia. They got relegated. So it would be a, a very easy deal to do. But Leeds certainly haven't indicated that they're looking at that particularly. I, I always kind of feel that in a world as big as the European market, you don't have to go to, for Alioski, do you? There are other left-backs out there you could quite easily target as well. But it would seem to me now to be very risky to say, we have what we need at left back, so I don't think they do. I would love to see what Marsh makes of Gianni Alioski, just on a, <laughs> on a personal level, just the way that he sort of takes on board He'd love his, it. He'd love his players' ideas. I was going to say, I think they quite like each other. Yeah. Yeah. Gianni suggested shaking the tunnel as we walk out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do need something at left back. I, I, even with Furpo fit, I don't think it's enough. When you, when you contrast yeah. it with the right hand side of the pitch, we just seem to be really, really light there. And I want to be as fair as possible to Junior Furpo, but last season was fairly bad. I think, overall on balance. I mean, he spoke, didn't he, um, in the wake of the Blackpool game, saying, surely it can't be as bad as last season. And then, lo and behold, he, he's, he's out for... Yeah, he pretty much said it, it couldn't be any worse. And if you've been totally objective about it, you would say that in season one, the form wasn't really there and neither was the fitness. And I suppose that alone 
has to leave a question mark over how covered you are, even if he is totally fit. I do understand them persisting with him on the basis that they paid 12, 30 million quid for him. He, he was a very good player back when he was at Betis or he was very well thought of and, and they will be hoping that they can bring that out of him. The common sense streak in you would say it would be daft and risky not to cover this position because if already we're in a you know, the state of play is we don't have somebody to play, somebody obvious to play on the left side of defence and if already we're thinking about possibly using strike out there or Harrison, who for what it's worth, I, I kind of think Harrison could actually be quite good there but it would be remodelling him. Why does left-back look so difficult and Phil? Surely we can just go into the market because there is value to be had, particularly at left-back. I mean, I don't know it comprehensively by any stretch of the imagination, but you just know there are people out there that could do that job more than capably. Charlie Taylor's a name that often comes up. There's the guy at Ajax, is it Tagli Fikikifiku, who mm-hmm. is now, I can't pronounce, um, who's into the last year of his contract. Names that have been mentioned, surely we can, we can do something here. And also, Harrison is a winger seemed pretty clear from the system that Marsh was using against Blackpool at York that uh, Harrison will fit into that as an attacking player. Strike is short of pace to play at left back. I think Harrison would have to reinvent himself. And more to the point, if if you look at the way Leeds play under Marsh, the overlapping fullbacks are so critical. I mean, that is where all the width comes from. So you need a specialist who knows what, what they're doing. And as much as I, I always agreed with Bielsa when he said you know, wing, wingers are basically fullbacks and fullbacks are basically wingers these days and, and that's absolutely true you still need somebody who understands it properly and who will give you what you need out wide so yeah I think if it's if it's not looking looking great for football for the start of the season that would definitely make sense and perhaps I think you said to me earlier you know it might be a blessing in disguise this one because they'll they'll end up with more cover there than they might otherwise have done and, and it's hard to disagree with that and I really just hope we don't end up with another Victor project with you know, respect to the good work that I think he's done this summer in recruiting the bodies early and hopefully effectively. No project, just somebody who's completely capable at slotting in at left back and doing a job. Like Rasmus Christensen on the other side. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, very much that. I think this is a test of kind of the theory that Victor Ott has always got a list of five players for each position of where we could strengthen. When we were being linked with dozens of central midfielders, I think I said on Square Ball podcast, I was worried that left back didn't seem to be a, a prioritised position. Part of me almost admired the club's stance of wanting to back Firpo because I think, you know, a lesson of the Bielsa era is that you can coach these players to be better. But the, the theory behind that, I guess, was that Firpo needed a full pre-season to see if he can get fitter, if he can adjust to the tactics, if he can adjust to the club. And then actually what's happened is he's got injured, he's going to miss pre-season. And now we're left in a position where we'd be starting a Premier League campaign with Leif Davis at left back. And it's nothing against Leif Davis, but he was signed as kind of an emerging player while we were in the championship and it feels like the club's moved on a lot from that. I mean, he started seven championship games for Bournemouth last year, Davis. And then I was also looking at the other games he played and he he made a few starts in the cup, but one of them was a de- defeat to Boreham Wood and another one was a 6-0 defeat to Norwich. And I'm not saying that's Leif Davis's fault, but it's not the um, the guy you want in the number three shirt, is it? I don't think. It's not the trajectory of somebody who, you know, we're at the elite level now and if we are going to show our credentials to be at this level we need to be doing that's disrespectful to Leif Davis but we need to be making at least a competent statement at left back level rather than a hit and hope on a young guy who's, who's not done it at this that's, level that's the best way to put it is that you need to avoid gambles um, Furpo was saying himself last week that injuries had affected him a lot you know acclimatising had not been easy this is definitely not going to help him 
at all. And they just, it, it seems obvious now that, that they could get caught out here because they're not going to be able to push Firpo through these friendlies. I've seen so many times over the years the way that players miss pre-season and then just never quite get going, never quite get on the roll that other players are on when they've gone through the friendlies and they've gone through all the training and, and the preparation. It, it will make it difficult for him. And if it's if we are talking eight weeks, um, Marsh was saying he was hopeful it would be a little bit sooner than that. But if it is eight weeks, then we're going to be pushing into kind of September time. You'll already be into the, the thick of games. Premier League will be going at 100 miles an hour and it's not easy fitting back into that, slotting back in. So yeah, they, they need to be mindful of it. And from what Marsh was saying, I think he is. He very much seemed to be hinting to me in his in the quotes that, that he gave about it, that if they could find somebody else, you know, that, that would give them better cover there, then he'd absolutely take it. And there is that strange thing happening this season, the World Cup. There's a chance at a second mini pre-season actually when the um, the international extended break happens. So maybe there's a second bite of the cherry for him. I mean, we saw he looked quite useful going forward, I thought, against Blackpool, but you've always got to caveat that with it's the first pre-season game against a bad Blackpool side. doesn't really mean anything. I thought he looked all right going forward, but we still saw that, that occasion where he got skinned on the outside and did that lunge, which made me think, ah, I'm worried about you again. But to take Firpo specifically out of it, I think what you could see is exactly what Marsh wants his fullbacks to do and, and what he wants his midfielders to look for, which is those runs from deep where the opposition are sucked forward. There's loads of space open and, and you can play them in and it worked pretty well with, with Firpo. So when it comes to who plays there, you know, whether it's Davis or Harrison or, or Strike or whether they sign somebody else, it has to be a fullback who'll do that and can do that because that, I think, is where the width is going to come from in this team. I think in the 4 2 3 1 that we saw last Thursday, there isn't a huge amount of width up front. Um, so it is your fullbacks who'll provide it. Because Rodrigo was on the right-hand side of the three, wasn't he, against Blackpool? Yeah, and there's obviously a bit of a reinvention going on with Sam Greenwood as well after that appearance at Brentford. More and more feeling that he can play deeper play almost as a as a midfielder or a 10 rather than just an out-and-out out nine. Although something tells me, and I, I don't think this is, anybody would disagree with this, that when we get to the start of the season and um, the game against Wolves, the team will be populated by most of the new signings um, who've come in. Um, I thought Rocker looked good against Blackpool, but you were right to caveat it with the fact that Blackpool looked a mile short of being ready for the start of their season. I, mean, I don't think they've signed many or any players. Um, they looked pretty flimsy and, and they didn't cope well with that game. They're only two and a half weeks off as well, aren't they? I've just realised that, that they start it, um, end of July. It always happens this. You always have clubs who are ultra pre- uh, prepared, usually those who've had a good season, so you know are moving into... Another, um, to use Millwall as an example, they had a good year last year without getting into the playoffs. They've done Creswell. They would love to do Shackleton if they could just get the finances sorted out for that. They will probably feel very, very optimistic. I'm not saying they'll make the playoffs or whatever else, but they'll feel happy where they are, I think, and, and to go. Blackpool have had the transition of losing one manager. Now uh, Michael Appleton coming in and have a heck of a lot to do to that squad, I think, to to be competitive and, and also just to keep themselves out of trouble so yeah you're right I mean time is ticking for them massively and that does make you think about what it would have been like for Leeds had they gone down you know the time frame in which to sort themselves out yeah it was a I case should, it, it was a case at York at sitting and thinking here's what you could have won had it all gone horribly wrong yes the four-two-three-one. then uh, what do we make of that how, how, how's that going to sort of pan out do you think in the Premier League will it, will it make us look a little bit more solid than maybe we did under Bielsa um, in the first half of last season it should do in theory because you have two deeper line midfielders, so you have more more bodies um, in that area and, and a little bit more protection, although Phillips was never a, a bad line of defence, but there was obviously a lot of pressure on him in that role. We asked Firpo afterwards, 
this four two three one. Do you think that is how you're going to play this season? And he said, yeah, I think we will. He talked about the fact that Marsh does like the four two 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 and would like to do it. But as Fopo put it, the players who've come in almost lend themselves more to a four two three one, and and that's probably probably right. I think it it can work in the Premier League because it has worked for teams in the Premier League before. It will be very interesting to see how it does go, though. They they look drilled to me, I thought. They did look well drilled, but they clearly need to play a heck of a lot better than they did last season, even in the period when Marsh was head coach. And I think they need to understand it better than they did in that period. There were signs, I thought, on Thursday that things have seeped in. You know, the penny has dropped um, to some extent, but you're never going to get a true demonstration of that until they start playing competitive games. I think the hope is the two central midfielders are a lot more suited to this system whereas last season when we were playing 4-2-3-1 and it was Calvin Phillips and Matthias Click, or you'd have Robin Cock in there or Schrauch but Phillips you know he was used to playing that position just on his own Click potentially prefers playing further forward whereas you could see Rocker in particular looked completely comfortable playing that in, in that position and you'd expect Tyler Adams next to him to look very comfortable and I think again for sure that position kind of suits him as well which is a big difference from when Marsh was trying to implement his tactics last year and also Archie Gray who was I mean just cruised through the, the whole thing it's kind of effortless with him he looks so good and, and Marsh said afterwards you know I consider him a first team player now and he will play a little bit this season probably not a huge amount because you've got you know, a squad there with Rocky in it and Adams and, and Forshaw as well so I don't think Gray's likely to get a, a massive run but if you were turning to him it's a player who actually fits there as opposed to saying to Robin Koch I know right from the start they've said with Robin Cock he's a centre-back who can play as a defensive midfielder but there's nothing I've seen in him that makes me think that he isn't just a centre-back and again he looked good on Thursday I've always felt there's a really good player there if he can just stay fit and he can he can keep himself going for a decent run of games but I think Rob's absolutely right for the system that they're going to play they're definitely set up better in terms of personnel and particularly in, in that holding midfield area It says a lot about the consumerist worldview at the minute that I'm really, really looking forward to seeing our shiny new bauble, Sinistera. If we're losing, if we're losing Rafa, he's old news. I now want to see Sinistera running around. How do you think they're going to be similar? How do you think they're going to be maybe a, a little bit different? I've spoken to a few people in Holland about him. And we'll have a piece coming um, at some stage fairly soon, just about his background and, and everything else. He sounds to me like he's somebody who fits very well into a specific system, you know. So if you if you come up with a system, he's clever enough and bright enough to to understand what you have to do, how you have to fit into it. But he also, I think, is a little like Rafinha in that he is extremely good off the cuff. You know, good at creating goals himself, good at creating chances from very little. They thought a lot of him at final. The people who watched him, journalists who wrote about him, were really impressed as well. They always say in Holland when you you come to England and come to the Premier League, there is kind of that there is some adaptation needed. And you've seen with Van der Beek and, and some others that it isn't just a case of being outstanding in the Netherlands and, and being able to jump over here and, and fly from the off. But they think he's good enough for this move and they think he's good value at, at kind of 20, 21 million pounds. So I'm like you, I think very interested in, in seeing him. And and true of all the signings, actually, it was good to see Rocker on Thursday. I've always kind of felt from reading about him and, and finding out a bit about him that he was a, a, a good punt at 10 million pounds. And I think that'll be true of Christensen as well. And it, it feels to me that without kind of making any predictions about how this is going to go, they're along the line, right lines of who they should be going for in order to, to make this plan work under Marsh. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Of course, the Australian tour kicks off on Thursday morning, UK time, Phil. So probably by the time this comes out, you um, will be watching actual football again yes. with all the new signings. So we get to see all the shiny new toys and see how it all uh, how it all fits together then I think yes. is, is this going to be maybe maybe a, an extra building block on top of what we saw against Blackpool I think it'll be a stronger team I would have thought that some of the some more of the new signings will will get a run against Brisbane Road Rocker was the only one who who got a go uh, against Blackpool but I mean some of the others were literally through the door you know um, Sinistera had only just signed Adams had, had come in the day before um, when we went to interview Adams who actually really likeable character him really likeable guy um, he sort of said I've desperate to get going straight away but I've got to do all the testing and everything else so I'm hoping I'm going to train Friday but obviously in soon enough to be on the plane to Australia which was pretty important and part of the reason why it was good from Leeds perspective that, that City got on with the Phillips deal and, and served up that cash because it was like knocking the, the dominoes over in the way that transfer market normally does but yeah I, I it sounds like Cooper will miss this slight Achilles problem obviously Furpo isn't there I would have thought that what we see at some point if not in this friendly, then the, the friendlies coming up will, will start to look much more like the team as it's going to be on the first day of the season. Will Juan Mata be joining? The mighty Juan Mata. <laughs> will he be joining, joining the fray, Phil? Great, the, great um, story for a Wednesday morning. It never ends this, I was, I was this fucking that, summer, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one, one minute. That's one the minute. Swear. We've got to put the swearing tags on now. One, uh, one minute, Rafinha's gone, and you're like, right, okay, that's that one done. And then someone's getting in touch saying, have you seen this in AS about Leeds and Leeds and one matter? Um, it was a no from Leeds to that one. Um, there are people in Spain who say that there has been contact. I don't know. I can't. I don't see how. I, I don't see how that kind of falls into the the recruitment. Recruitment model. Really, it, it doesn't do seem to fit. No, not a 30, <laughs> thirty-four-year-old on big wages doesn't seem <laughs> no, to it just sell on value. Doesn't there. Kind of seem right. And this is a summer where they've kind of gone out the midfield and done things to the midfield and got bodies in. You know, the the obviously Rocket and Adams, the two that jump out, and then Aronson further forward. But they've also got um, Jabby from Manchester City, who they seem to think a lot of and seem really happy that they've 
landed him and he's been looked at again as a as a first team player one who's probably going to have to be a bit patient so Juan Mata just about old enough to be Jarby's dad he probably is yeah <laughs> if you, if you he probably is I'm old enough to be Jarby's dad yeah <laughs> uh, so you know it was a no from this end it was a do I, do mama I de- mama from the Spanish end do I detect a a note of weariness in your voice about that Phil Oh, a little bit with that one, yeah. Um, it has been, though, really fascinating summer and it's been really active and the thing that's been good, I think, from a journalistic point of view is this, the things that have been talked about and the things that have been mooted have actually happened. So they wanted Aronson and they got Aronson and the same with Christensen and then they went after Rocker and it got done and then Phillips was supposedly going to City and he did go to City and Barcelona wanted Rafinha and that's going through as we speak and, you know, Sinistera and... Um, Tyler Adams as well, who's linked for ages. It has actually moved this window. You know, you quite often get stuck in windows where it's just things going round and round and round and round. Whereas this has been properly active and actually very, very good to to write about. It's there, there are just days where you sweep up all the Rafinha stuff and then suddenly your WhatsApp goes and somebody's saying, what matter? You're like, oh, here we go, here we go. But we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I, I, as I say, the, the, it was a shake of the head at this end. It's always interesting to have a little delve into like opposition team forums and just to see what they're saying about Leeds. And there's a little bit of begrudging respect there about the business that we've done. People saying it's good business that we've done. We've, got, we've picked up some good players like Rocker seems to be a good price and Christensen, all of them actually. I also think they've done pretty well with the, the sale of Rafinha and Phillips to get them done in the time frame that they have to get the money for them that they have. Again, I'm not saying that neither fee could have been higher. I'm not saying that either fee was peak value for Phillips or Rafinha, but I don't think they've massively undersold either of them um, during these deals. Looking at what's gone on elsewhere, it's been mentioned to me that Jesus went to Arsenal from Man City where he won a lot of trophies, You know, um, very involved there for about 45 million. But the one that jumped out to me more than any other was Sadio Mane at thirty million pounds. Uh, he had one year left on his deal, but that to Bayern Munich, that's you know pickier forwards just about give or take. Um, been exceptional for Liverpool and and done very very big things over there. Reputation couldn't be higher, so that gives you an idea of where the market's at. And and as I say, I think money wise they've they've done okay um, out of these two. The players they've signed, none of them I'm looking at and thinking that's a kind of massive stab in the dark. You know, a, a wild punt or a kind of bizarre piece of recruitment they all seem to make sense to a certain degree um, some definitely more than others but there's none of these signings that I don't like none of them that I don't think could be good I think they, they do still need another forward and I think they will get another forward but without a doubt they're going to go into this season with more depth more experience in the, the depth of the squad as well so I can understand why other people would be looking at Leeds and thinking they've they've had a, re, a you know a pretty decent summer so far, but the, it's all going to be come down to how it comes together, isn't it? You know, it, it's not just about the personnel and the players. It's going to be about the tactical approach as well. It's funny, isn't it, how people get annoyed by the fees because these are just figures that exist only in the abstract to us, don't they? I, I was thinking about this because I was annoyed by the, the Phillips fee. I thought it was too low. And I've seen this Rafinha fee and I think that is probably a little bit too low. But then you start to explain that, you know, if Leeds managed to circumvent paying certain commissions or fees or whatever, then that in effect is a saving to them as well. So it's not just as black and white as that, is it? But it's just funny how we get annoyed by numbers as fans, numbers on a on a page. Things skew your impression of transfer fees as well. So because Grealish went to City for so much money, people use that as a bit of a benchmark for where other players should fall, you know, in line below that. But obviously Grealish was a buyout clause and, and hence why he was, he was so expensive. 
I think when it comes to Phillips, a lot of people have followed what's been said and written about Declan Rice. You know, the idea that Rice could be a £70 million player, £80 million player. Why isn't Phillips at that level? The only thing I would say is that nobody's actually paid £80 million for Declan Rice yet. You know, he hasn't actually gone for that fee. When he does, then obviously that gives you a, a different perspective. If he doesn't go for so much, I'm assuming he does ever leave West Ham. If it's a, a lower fee, then perhaps, you know, that will, will put Phillips in context again. But it is all fairly arbitrary when it comes to deciding what you think a player should be worth. And you can't avoid acknowledging that in a situation that they had with Phillips where there is one club in for him, one club that he wants to go to and his contract has two years left, there has to be a little bit of give and take when it comes to what you take and, and what you accept um, and, and also what you refuse. So when Arsenal came in at kind of £35 million for Rafinha, that was a straight, you know, bat it back over the net and, and say no immediately. But when you get into the ballpark of £50 million, £55 million, and you know that it has to be done and you know that, that Rafinha is going nowhere other than Barcelona, even though Chelsea are right at the door saying we will sign you tomorrow. You do potentially have to compromise a little bit, but I don't feel, particularly with the Rafinha one, I don't feel like they've compromised massively. I think the way that those fees are going to be viewed as well kind of depends on how the replacements we've brought in fare. Because, you know, maybe we've sold them slightly undervalue. At the end of the day, though, the money's not going in my bank account, so I'm not that asked. But... um if they have funded six players who are brilliant and hit the ground running and really strengthen the squad, we'll go, yeah, we've had a great summer. If, you know, it was like when Spurs sold Gareth Bale for £85 million and Liverpool sold Suarez for all that money and the signings they brought in were not up to scratch, then you will look at it and go, oh God, I wish we'd have got more or I wish we'd have spent it differently. But as things stand, because we've not really seen these players play, it all feels very, very exciting and all very new and very fresh. I don't really know what to expect, but I'm just happy that it is something fresh and exciting. Somebody did make the point to me as well that it makes a difference to the club's accounts, clearly, that if you get an extra £5 million or £10 million, but it's highly unlikely to change. If you have a, a plan of attack at the start of the summer and you're pretty clear on exactly who it is you want to go after, it's highly unlikely to change your list of targets or the, the direction of the transfer window unless you either undercut the true value so far that you can no longer afford who you want or it goes so high above what you were expecting to get that actually it suddenly opens doors that, that you weren't expecting. I don't think, say for example, Phillips had gone for £50 million, they would not just have done Tyler Adams anyway. Uh, and had Rafinha gone for 60 or 65, I still think they would have done um, Sinistera because that was who they'd they'd fallen upon and, and who they, they wanted to to bring in. And as Rob says, it, it is a bit of a fresh start. And I think it I think it had to be this summer. I think it would probably have got Leeds nowhere trying to cling on via either the structure or the style of the team and the way that Marsh was was managing them, trying to cling on to the Bielsa era. Because as we've said, even though it was portrayed at the beginning as a bit of a sort of natural transition or one to the other or similarities between them, when you look closely, there really aren't any other um, or not enough for you to say that this is a kind of natural succession. It's a, It feels to me like a completely new broom um, and a completely new way of doing things and I think the recruitment has kind of kind of allowed that to flow. Yeah, we keep coming back to the same point, don't we? That we don't want anybody to have our pants down over the fee. But equally, if we win against Wolves in another few weeks' time, no one's going to be quibbling about the fees that we got for Rafinha or Phillips, are they? It'll look like money well spent on that basis. No, and and you could go back to the Rafinha transfer, the initial one, where Leeds paid seventeen million pounds to bring him in from Wren. I never understood what Wren were doing with that. They they seemed very happy for him to go. They seemed very happy to take that money, even though there was little 
if any profit on top of what they paid to bring him in from Portugal. It just seemed to be a case of, almost a case of he's not all that. Um, so we'll take the cash and we'll move on. Perhaps they were feeling financial pressure because it was right in the middle of COVID as well. But I think if, if to reverse the situation, if Barcelona had signed Rafinha from Leeds for £17 million and were now selling him for 50 55 there'd be a fair amount of disquiet here about the original fee and, and the money they've taken. For some reason, even generally at, at Ren, this doesn't seem to be much of a thing. People don't seem to be too unhappy about it. But that's probably a, a scenario where Leeds did get somebody who was worth more money for less than they, they should have paid. I think in the case of Barcelona and Rafinha, they're not far off paying what, what is market value. As we said, we'll see the first uh, baby steps of this new Leeds United sides when we face Brisbane Raw Thursday morning. Long old way to go for pre-season, isn't it? It must be good from a bonding perspective, though. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of travelling to do. Good from a financial um, perspective, I It is say. very good from a financial perspective. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was looking at Manchester United dotting over to Thailand and then they're going down to Australia and everything else. Selling a few tractors or whatever. Well, it doesn't strike me as being a, that, you know, the Man United move um, or the, the plan being that conducive towards maximising your kind of competitive impact or your, your coaching impact over the summer. It seems as if you are very much allowing advertising and commercial sales and everything to to have its place in the summer. And, and there's no doubt at all that that's true of Leeds trip down under too. They, they are making money from this and it is fairly lucrative. It is a long way to travel. I mean, even internally, it's a long way to travel. If you go from coast to coast as, as they're going to, you know, it, it's not like a two minute flight from, Edinburgh to, to London, it's, you know, you're talking six or seven hours. But the saving grace with this is that they will be back two weeks before the season starts. I would have been fascinated to see what would have happened had they been relegated because you would have been talking about them assuming that they'd, they'd gone and they'd stuck with the schedule and they played Palace on the 22nd of July. You'd have been talking about them arriving back in England with around about two or three days to go before the season started. And I can't see how that would have been good for anybody. Well, some breaking news that happened for you in the past, um, listening to this, Eli Capriel has gone on a permanent deal to Bari as of right now, Yes, as we record. He, so. um, he had a good spell in Italy last season. They seemed happy with him. But obviously the goalkeeping ranks are pretty chocky. You've got Melier, um, you've got Klaassen, uh, you've got Van der Hoeville as well. So that totally makes sense to me. Any movement on a senior keeper yet then, Phil? It feels like they're thinking about this, but there's been no real... Obvious no, sign of the, happening. No, there hasn't. Uh, and I would think in the grand scheme, suddenly left-back probably becomes a bit more of a priority. I want to, to wait and see with that. They certainly have spoken about it, second-choice keeper. And the way it was being spoken about, it sounded to me at the start of the summer like it was something they were, you know, not dead set on doing, but something they were pretty open to doing. Um, I'm not so sure now, and there hasn't really been anything said. But then again, they have been completely tied up with, you know, the, the kind of core deals and the key deals, including um, Rafinha and, and Phillips out. But they're through most of that now with, with Rafinha going. And it does look like in terms of, the, you know, the major signings, they've got one left to do. 21's coach, have we got one yet, by the way? No, they've been interviewing various candidates for that. Um, still waiting for a decision and an outcome and still waiting for an appointment of an assistant to Marsh as well. Although I think that will come as well. Because they're down in Premier League 2 division two after being relegated last yes. season. So it's a slightly different kettle of fish again, isn't it? They're going to have to get themselves back up to where they were before. I felt sorry for them last season because they were the collateral damage of you know the, the thin squad and the injuries and the, the fact that so many of them were being bumped up to pad out the um, the, the senior squad at times when, when numbers were short. 
So it has knocked them out of the top division, which means they're no longer in with you, Manchester City's and Chelsea's and, and Liverpool's and, and everything else. How much of a difference that really makes, I don't know, because you know how it is with 21's football and academy football. It is mostly development over results. Um, and, you know, games are kind of games, really. But you can you can surmise, I think, that the players themselves would much rather be up in the top division. And Charlie Creswell said that before the end of the season. You know, he said, we, we do want to stay up. Because, you know, you, you never really want to be carrying relegation around next to your name, regardless of what level it's at. So in the next seven days, what do you think we're going to see? Uh, three weeks to go and three and a half to the start of the season. Um, Victor Ross is still back in England uh, yeah. while the team and the squad and the management are out in Australia. What's the next week going to look like, do you think? Well, he went to Australia last time. Leeds were over there with Bielsa. It was 2019 because everything was kind of in order and it wasn't impinging on his work. But it was a deliberate decision not to go this time, primarily because the Rafinha thing was still in the background and also there would be deals to be done. You would like to think that there will be progress on a forward before long. I think we'll also start to see over the, the next three friendlies, Marsh's preferred team taking shape. Um, he might not give it all away and he might not give too much away, but I, I suspect by the time they come back from Australia, we'll have a fairly clear idea of what it is that he wants to do and who he wants to do it with. And finally, one of the reasons we had a nice smile on our faces this week was the second anniversary of the Pablo Swansea moment. We have spoken about oh, yes. it at length on, the, on this show before, but one just to touch on very, very briefly, let's end on a nice positive thought. It was nice to have those feelings come back again. I'd forgotten what they felt like, but then you see the video and just remember the moment and feeling like, hang on a second, we're going to bloody do this. It's nice to know that that stuff never goes. You know, it is permanent and it does last um, in the way that murals last and and the, your best memories tend to survive anything else that, that goes on. Football's a kind of... It kind of ebbs and flows, doesn't it? And in the day-to-day, things happen, results go sour, things that were great once are no longer great and everything comes to an end, but it doesn't change what's gone on. And, you know, I, I always thought that what came out of the Bielsa era were memories for life. And if you look at that goal as well, in many ways it was the archetypal Bielsa goal Yeah, from the build-up at the back out to Luke Ayling, who if you watch his role in that, up that touchline, to go, he, he ran the full... Full, full length of the pitch if you watch his, that, his that was a movement. slog of a game that as well it was not a great game and it was hot and everybody was knackered by the end of it and his ability to cover the length of the pitch I think was pretty much you know, pretty much characterises exactly what that team was which was just a total total machine that could keep going for longer than anybody else and in the end did it's the way he looks up and then sees the space ahead of him and puts his head down and just runs. And yeah. he, he, that moment when he puts his head down, even now when I watch it back, I kind of get goosebumps because you know what's coming. You now. know what's coming and it, it's almost like he knows what's he knows where he has to be. I um, love watching Hernandez as well because he hovers and he hovers and he hovers and all the way running up the pitch, he makes sure that he's just sat in space all the time. So he's not going so quickly that he's catching up with Swansea's defence and he's not going so slowly that he's letting people close in on him. And it's just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and making sure that if the ball comes in, he's 100% going to be in space and a beautifully, perfectly scuffed finish, which was absolutely meant. I was going to say, if you look at all the people that you um, remember from that moment, from that video, it's it's Berardi throttling Bamford in the celebrations yeah. afterwards. Helder Costa is involved in the build-up. Luke Ayling as well. Pablo Hernandez with the finish. And it just goes to show, doesn't it, in, in, just, the, in just two years. Some of the picks of Berardi are like, <laughs> Somebody committing a crime. You know? <laughs> Bamford looks genuinely distressed as he's getting strangled. Well, I was going to say all, all four of those are basically, apart from Aileen now moving to the sort of periphery 
a little bit with the arrival of Christmas and it just goes to show how things change in just two short years. Click is involved as well, but I think um, going back to Baradi's celebration, we've obviously got the mural of Pablo's celebration. I think it needs a companion piece. Of That's a great Baradi idea, yeah, of um, ba- uh, Bamford. Of Bamford on death's door. The, <laughs> the, the great thing about that goal, apart from what it meant, was the uniqueness of it being in the stadium because where we were sat, we had, I don't know if you remember, but the players, the substitutes used to sit because of COVID spread out in a kind of seating area with, you know, four or five seats between them. So rather being down in the dugout, Brady was kind of 10, 12 rows back, which meant when the goal scored, you had to run down the steps, jump over the advertising boards and then cover about 20 yards as Melier was coming up from the, the other end of the pitch. So it, was all, it all just kind of happened in a way that as much as you hated COVID meant that you'll never, you probably never see another goal, a goal or, or circumstances around it quite like it. Football all about moments and that was a perfect moment. But um, onward into the new season and when we are here next week we'll be able to have two pre-season friendlies to to reflect on. So uh, I dare say we'll feel a little bit more informed about what the new season's going uh, to look like. Thank you gentlemen. We'll speak next week. If you want to sign up for The Athletic don't forget to use the um, the URL theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. Tweet us at The Phil Hay Show on Twitter as well. And we'll speak to you next week. The Phil Hay Show. 